Welcome to the Nahrain Network. We're today with Dr. Ali Naji from the University of Kufa. Hello, Dr. Ali, how are you? Uh, hello, Dr. Mihyar. Also nice to meet you again. You're on Nahrain Network and British Institute for the Study of Iraq Scholar. This is like two of your visit to the UK. Could you tell us a bit about the scholarship you've undertaken and the type of research you've conducted? Yes. Um, in the beginning, uh, let me thank you, especially as a person and also uh, Nahrain Network in UCL and uh, the British Institute of Studies of Iraq for giving the opportunity to me to attend to UK and increase my experience uh, related to heritage. In fact, this is my complimentary visit because I submit a proposal three years ago to have uh, a holistic view for the heritage to increase the awareness of people to the cultural heritage, especially of the Najaf city, uh, by merging the tangible and intangible heritage uh, in one research. When I came to UK at the first uh, visit, uh, it was at February 2020, and unfortunately I cannot complete my activities here because of the pandemic COVID at that time. So this is my second uh, or second visit to UK for this, um, the main objective of this visit to move around uh, this country and see uh, the experience and many successful stories uh, happened regarded uh, to the heritage and cultural heritage. To achieve this objective from the beginning, I plan to visit uh, some cities like uh, York and Liverpool and other cities to see what are the way they uh, are solving this problem of keeping the cultural heritage and the identity of such uh, cities. I can't do that this time. Uh, and uh, I met uh, many people. Uh, they are responsible uh, of the heritage, how to deal with heritage such as experts from universities and also those who are working in the city council, for example. Uh, the main objective of uh, this scholarship is to network with others uh, who are the same, who has the same interest like uh, me uh, with heritage, uh, different types of heritage, tangible and intangible heritage. And uh, this visit, really, I uh, met uh, many persons from universities and also from uh, other uh, departments like City Council of York and others. And those persons uh, uh, helped me with a lot of information which, are, which should be necessary for us to proceed in keeping our heritage. Uh, one of uh, the important heritage cities in United Kingdom is York. York is a good example. I, I, can't, I can't say that uh, York is similar to Najaf, but it is similar from some uh, points of view, and also it is different from others. For example, uh, York, it has a, a huge history, uh, deep-rooted in the history. Uh, maybe uh, there is, I can say there is um, an old city uh, below uh, the present city. The old city uh, belongs to, to the Roman period and uh, hundreds of years and then changed many, many times. And so we can say maybe there's different layers of uh, city of York. The problem of the uh, development of York started from the mid, uh, middle of the last century when the transportation projects started to be constructed and also uh, many development required by the city pressed on the people at that time 
to build new buildings and open new streets and car parks and so on. This really was a challenge for the city council of York at that time because when you may want to construct a new building, you need to make a foundation and the foundation you should dig maybe several meters below the ground level. Then you will uh, maybe you have uh, uh, violated the uh, archaeological site or maybe you may destroy many ruins under the ground. For this, the people of York started from that time to have a great interest in this issue and to solve it by different ways. You visited several archaeological sites, uh, heritage sites, but also more interestingly, um, you met with an archaeologist, one of the leading archaeologists in York, who um, works for the York Archaeological Trust. Could you tell us a bit about that uh, yes. exposure and that experience? Yes, in fact, uh, I met uh, Claire, Claire McRae. Uh, she is archaeologist. She got a uh, master's degree uh, from University of York and uh, she works in the city council and his work exactly in the city council is underground. How to deal with archaeological sites underground for new projects. Uh, she told me that uh, uh, there are rules how to deal with this issue and those rules based on a planning uh, strategy which was from the 90s written by uh, many companies helped York in this context and uh, she uh, in fact uh, told me that the main thing to do in the beginning is to have a database. Database is very important when we, when we deal with the heritage because for example the value of any location the value of any archaeological sites should be evaluated for before making any decision because this is maybe i can say frankly speaking that changing the mindset should be the first step because we, we have in iraq for example two trends of uh, thinking the first is to keep everything as it is because it is heritage should not be touched the second on the other on the, the opposite side those who believe that uh, there should be a development and improvement of the human life and those old things means that we, we still live in the past and we should leave the past. And sadly, I said that, I say that uh, both of those trends of thinking are extremist because always we should think in the middle. Yes, we are not living in the past, but we have a roots from the past. And also we have a lessons from the past. Those lessons are important to guarantee, to plan for good future and also to improve our life in the present. What, what happened for Iraqi people, unfortunately, because they are maybe uh, now living in this conflict uh, period between the past and the future and what, 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 what is the real way of thinking. My visit to York, I think it gives me a lot about that. That the, pa the past and the history and the heritage is important for future life and can also participate to improve our future life. This is, uh, can be done by the sustainable development plans. Sustainable development plans uh, means that this heritage we have is like a treasure.
this treasure can be used to improve our life and also attract tourists, for example, and many projects can be done with this heritage. And as the founder of the archaeological York Archaeological Trust, it's very important organization, charity organization. In fact, I hope that in Iraq we will have such type of organizations because he mentioned in uh, one of the articles when he uh, founded this, at, uh, I think it, it's founded at 1972, he stated that we should do uh, the heritage industry. He named or titled uh, this pro project as heritage industry because heritage, it's, it is not freezing the things uh, like uh, to be like a mummies, uh, those things and without any feeling of life because people should improve their lives. I think this concept or this philosophy behind what happened in New York is very important to me from this side. The other side also, we have in Iraq now very good step is to establish a new municipality in the old city of Najaf. And it is, I, I can say it is the first time in Iraq to have a specialized municipality for a historic part in a city uh, in Iraq because many historic cities unfortunately they are belong to the same municipality of the governorate and the maybe it is a small department in the municipality of the governorate related to the historic part or to the old part or the heritage part and maybe those employees working in such small department are changeable changing every period for this there are no uh, okay, accumulated experience for such people to deal with heritage buildings. So establishing this municipality in the historic part, historic center of Najaf, I think it is very important step. Uh, step. And to be this step is good or success story for other cities of Iraq, I think two things uh, are important. The first is the regulations there should be special regulations for this municipality different from the traditional regulations used by a municipality. The second thing is building capacity and of, uh, or uh, I can say we should have retained staff uh, in this municipality and building capacity of those staff to be uh, qualified to deal with heritage building, like doing the repair and maintenance and so on. After, of course, have to, to uh, pre uh, collect uh, the database and maybe classification and so on. And this happened in New York. Those I, I'm, I'm talking about exactly the steps started in New York from the early 70s when the, the needs of the society in this city pressed on the government and always they requested a lot of changes and development for this they started from this point to collect data and make a database they named historic environmental record now anyone can now uh, type in the website in the internet uh, historic environmental record her of york and he can find a lot of information, an interactive map based on GIS system, and he can find any uh, maybe monument he, he request or any. Um, also, he can find the conservation areas and the, the listed buildings and so on. 
and also a classification of the type of buildings like grade one, grade two, grade three. It depends on the situation of building uh, from structural point of view and also it depends on the value from the spiritual uh, point of view. So the database for Najaf, I think it's, it should be the first step. Yes, I know there are many projects done in Najaf for renewal or urban planning of the old city, but I'm afraid that the database may be not organized in a way that can be used by the, this is a new municipality. And the second step is those laws. I, I think that York is very uh, good uh, example. Uh, can be also consulted, or I, I can't say that copy, copy, paste is not a good way to deal with uh, anything. But those people in the municipality of Najaf can also read those regulations and are now used by York City, uh, and then maybe. Uh, use a similar laws to control the activities inside the city. Anyone who wants to build a new building, what to do with this building and also how to deal. Let me say uh, the answer of this important question, uh, can he change this building to what extent, for example, or can he also demolish this building and build a new one and so on. What's also interesting about the York Archaeological Trust which is now called York Archaeology, is that it's also involved heavily in public education. And they play a role in not just advising the local government and also local governments across the UK, but they also play a role in informing society about the significance of the past, of archaeology. I mean, how important is education when it comes to protecting, safeguarding, celebrating Iraqi culture heritage? Yes, I, I think you now uh, you want to focus on the role of such organizations uh, in our situation in Iraq. Yes, I agree with you because maybe sometimes the people um, said that it is uh, the government uh, role. We are as a public, we have no power to control those things. But I think that the public also is very important for such issue because the interest of government sometimes is uh, related to maybe the economical state or, and so on, or, or, or the, maybe the environment related, or, or uh, let me say, um, politician uh, or political situation and so on. But for public heritage is another thing. For public heritage means, means the identity. Also, heritage uh, means the continuity of those communities and the people. I think the people always uh, refuse to, to lose such important thing in their history. For example, now Iraqi people respect the, their tribes, for example, or the traditions related to uh, the food or the dressing or the occasions, uh, for example, or religious uh, cer ceremonies or celebrations and so on. Those things are important for them. They, know, they do not need the government to put a, a rules or laws to, for example, to conserve those things or to keep those things because the government will follow the, the, the public people to see 
what are respected for them. So they, they put rules, for example, sometimes they uh, decide the holiday in certain days, for example, to, for some uh, traditions or some uh, other occasions and so on. So I think public is important. But the, 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 the negative point in the Iraq situation is the organization of those things. Because when we say that public, public means the, the, all people. But there should be a certain figures or certain people who are volunteers, who are maybe have, have more awareness about those things. They come together and then they found something like uh, York Archaeological Trust uh, as a non or, or NGO organization. And then they start to move, for example, towards the public from one side and towards the government also to have a pressure on the government regarding the heritage. In Najaf, there is a good success story, but uh, still needs more advanced uh, development, which is uh, the public committee, Al-Lajna Shabiya, public committee to uh, defend uh, about the heritage mm. or to conserve the heritage of this Najaf is, and this other is an cities. NGO, an organization based this is an NGO, but it's still not a formal NGO. I can't say like that because also it is a uh, we have a long routine to establish NGO, as you know. But uh, as an activity, many examples, have, for example, like expansion of airport. They stand against expansion of airport because there is archaeological site beside the airport and so on. Many things they are always have some activities for the public to show them that uh, heritage is important for the people. You've been looking at the relationship between tangible and intangible culture heritage. Are they so different? different maybe in the characteristic or how to deal with them but in the context of heritage they are one why they are one because the place the, any place or any monument or any building as it is without the meaning without the spirit it will be just a, an assembly of stones maybe or bricks and so on but the meaning also always comes from the values. And I can say that the values also related to the human being. So any human has a relation with any place. I think after the World War II, when Churchill, because we are now in London, the city of Churchill, he stood uh, in, inside the Berleman and the Berleman building was bombed by the air airplane of uh, Hitler. And it was the, the time to rebuild the Perlema. He had a very important, well-known statement in the engineering architecture. He said that, does the building shape us or we shape the building? The right answer is the building shape us. So then this is, he mentioned something important that that there's a relationship between the buildings and those monuments and the human being. If you now read the history, you will, if you turn back to, to the beginning of the mankind, you will see that always the sacred buildings are the most important type of building. For example, now the pyramids. 
pyramids are sacred buildings because they are graves and maybe the pharaohs are this, uh, also represent the other life or the uh, second life or after death of the pharaohs. So all beliefs are controlled and shaped those buildings and so on. And also many buildings, of course, are affected by those uh, beliefs and those traditions and so on. What happens if the buildings or the physical or the tangible cultural heritage is transformed, whether through development, through war, conflict? How does it affect people and society? Yes, of course, it, it affects the, the life because the, the way of life depends on those spaces. Sometimes you need, for example, larger space. Sometimes you need smaller space. Sometimes you need a certain type of materials or finishing and uh, on, on colors and uh, paintings and so on. All those things are, it is like, like let me say, uh, expressions, expressions of your culture, expression of your feelings. Many examples uh, happened. Let me say one of the examples from projects in Iraq. There was a dam, very large dam, to be built uh, at uh, Ana city. I think you know, or also the audience know, uh, Ana city, which is uh, Ana and Rawa, two cities uh, besides each other. The dam of Ana city, there, there should be a lake beside the dam. So the old city of Ana should be now uh, completely covered by water of this lake. There was a project at that time, I think in the 80s of the last century, to build new houses for those people. I was an engineer in the Ministry of Construction at that time, uh, at the early 90s, and I, I saw the, the drawings and so on. So they found some of the people, it is uh, from the countryside of Anna exactly, not Anna itself. They found, for example, that any family had uh, animals, and the animals are living very close to the family. So what are the design of such houses which will be, let me say, adaptable and be, uh, can have a good space for people and animal, uh, uh, those or their animals side by side in the same uh, space. And so on, a lot of examples you see that uh, the design always of buildings, old buildings or new buildings or future buildings are affected by the human beliefs or the human feelings and so on. This is my uh, argument, can I say, of this visit, maybe this is the main argument, is to make view to the heritage as a holistic view, to, to have one eye on the tangible and the other eye to the intangible. If you are now get a relation for each heritage building in Iraq between this building and its values, I think we can attract maybe a lot of people. I can't say the whole people, like, uh, but a lot of people can come and defend about this place because they will feel that the values will be lost if the building lost. Let's discuss this in more detail yes. or more critically. But the systems that we have, whether it be the 2003 Convention on Intangible Culture Heritage, or all the other conventions and systems that are born out of the UNESCO system make very clear separation between tangible and intangible culture heritage. Are these systems in need of reform? Particularly if you look at it, 
in relation to Negev or other parts of the country? Do we need to start critically thinking about how we can develop more integrated systems, holistic systems, rather than looking at intangible and tangible culture heritage as completely separate spheres? And uh, of course, that's echoed and reflected in rules and laws and systems and grants and programs and so on. Yes. I understand why UNESCO now have, let me say, two conventions, not one. If, we are, if my uh, speech is, is correct, there sh should be one convention, not two. The intangible heritage is not all of the elements of such heritage related to the space. Because some types of intangible heritage, for example, is uh, beliefs or cooking of certain type of food. Or, for example, maybe manufacturing of some handicraft things and so on. Not all of the elements of intangible heritage related to the place or to buildings. This is one. The other thing that the six criteria, which are the, the main or the core of Convention of 1972, which is organized the World Heritage List and how to inscribe properties to this list, the sixth one of those six criteria related to the values. But the convention stated that the sixth one is alone not enough. Because the outstanding universal value, which any property of inscribed uh, in the list should have outstanding universal value. This outstanding value, there should be attributes and the attributes in majority are measurable or can be seen or physical, but can be added as another type of attributes, which is non-physical, but alone is not enough. For example, in, in the cemetery of Wadi Salam, because also it's part of Najaf or very important part of Najaf, essential part, when we chose the criterion number three, which is that Wadi Salam it has an outstanding testimony of a traditional culture of millions of people. This is not only one, uh, the only criterion of inscribing Wadi Salam to the list. We chose also the sixth one, which is there are feelings and beliefs and, and traditions when the people are coming to bury their dead people in Wadi Salam. So there is a relation in the UNESCO Convention, but is but this relation is not clear very well for, um, uh, I think maybe later there will be development for the convention because I mentioned yesterday in the um, uh, presentation in UCL that uh, there is a declaration of ECOMOS because when we are talking about uh, convention of UNESCO of 1972, we should mention ECOMOS because the main consultant of this uh, convention is ECOMOS. I think also the audience and the, uh, know that ECOMOS it is the organization which decides which property is inscribed and which property should be deleted and refused and so on. ECOMOS, they recognized at 2008 in this recognition that every monument or every building should have a spirit and the spirit spiritual values should be respected and the keeping the heritage 
is a part of keeping its values. And the spirit of place is unique, obviously, to each side. And it's going to be very hard to measure this. I mean, is it something to measure or is it something just to recognize? Yeah, this is the main difference between uh, Convention uh, 1972 and Convention 2003. Because in 1972, you have a criteria and the measure done by ECOMOS. ECOMOS said, is the measure okay or satisfied or not? But in living uh, heritage, the thing is different uh, 100% because the local people, they who said that this is heritage or not, because they should also, uh, for example, if you want now any country uh, who holds rat ratifying or signing this convention of 2003, for example, if they want to uh, inscribe one element to the list, to the world list, world heritage list, they should submit a signature of the local people. Not all the local people, of course, but they name it like the the leader of this practice, the leader of this or intangible uh, cultural heritage. Who is the leader? The leader should should sign, should sign because maybe there is a privacy. Maybe those people, uh, those beliefs. Maybe the community uh, will refuse to declare on, for public uh, those beliefs and so on. So there should be a signature. Yes, this declaration, I think maybe two or three pages, but it is uh, very important, in fact, because many points, the definition of the spirit of place and so on. So I think a lot of writing will be published in, in this issue and a lot of interest will start to give in to the intangible heritage and the living heritage and also those values or, or those uh, things related to the her cultural heritage. And this is the Quebec Declaration on the yes. Preservation of, of the Spirit, Spirit of Place, Place. Yes. 2008. I advise all those people interested in heritage to read this carefully because I found it really uh, an, step, an advanced step, yes. And also it outlines here threats to the spirit of place, including uh, climate change, yes, yes, mass tourism, yes. armed conflict, urban development, disruption to societies, which obviously is something that uh, is off topic today. Yes, climate change affecting everything. Like the pandemic three years ago affecting the life and everything, yeah. For the first time this world heritage, some of them said, oh, make a very good example. So why we not demolish everything in this uh, historical part of Najaf and then make it an open space and only the shrine? Because the shrine is very important and maybe the, the pilgrims are uh, the, the main objective of receiving the pilgrims and serving them. But later, I can say day by day, year by year, uh, the people after maybe traveling or seeing others, other cities, for example, like in many cities in, in, in any country beside Iraq and far from Iraq, they recognized finally, no, there should, there should be compromises between development and improvement. And for this now, for example, you heard about when they see some of the bricks from Souq al-Hawaj or, or the old city was to be removed to build a new uh, space for uh, the shrine of Imam Ali. 
a lot of people wrote in in the media and so on and the, the campaigns and and so really I, I feel that people still have a great interest in the heritage but at the same time also they want to develop their lives they want to improve uh, the way of life and also those old buildings they want to see those buildings in a good situation in a good structure so can they to use those buildings in, in, in a new life? Maybe they, they have now cars or they are maybe need a, a new spaces, a new furniture and so on. So all those needs of the people, especially the transportation also is very important. So I think from the heritage point of view, they did not agree what happened to Najaf, especially the height of buildings because as you know the, the those multi-story buildings inside the city and the majority are hotels and hotels not belongs to people all of them from Najaf they are investment projects maybe some of the those investors from Najaf some of them outside Najaf but it is a negative point I, I can say maybe I hope that I am not biased to my opinion, but uh, I can say that the majority of people now writing on social media against this, but they not you, agree this. But how do you accommodate millions of people, particularly religious programs, and there are millions that visit Najaf, I mean Karbala, Najaf also, but how do you accommodate that without building high-rise hotels? Yes. The solution is good planning. Good planning means, for example, I saw in New York several days ago that they used a space, I think it's maybe the same area of the old city of York, to have a new development projects for many, many types. If such projects are succeeded to do their functions, uh, maybe there is no, there no need to, to remove or to have an open spaces. In Najaf also, we have a, a, a zone named Al-Judaidat. Al-Judaidat, it is, I can say, the first zone to be a, a residence and planned in the Ottoman period. It is in the 19th century. For this, you can see now, in the, for example, Google map, you, you can see that the grid streets as a grid because, as you know, the old cities, uh, there was something that organic uh, fabric or organic texture that uh, the roots, the alleys are zigzag, not citrate. Uh, but uh, the new or the Western uh, the way of planning cities, which is a grid, like rectangulars and so on. So you can see Al-Judaidat, uh, it is a grid. Al-Judaidat is, is very close to the old, or it is a neighborhood of the city. And I think the area of Al-Judaidat, it's about, I can say three or four times the area of the old city. Many things, many projects for accommodation, for maybe restaurants or, or even green spaces uh, can be made for this zone. Unfortunately, this zone was left for, uh, let me say, public planning. It is not planning or scientific planning mm. for, because uh, now there's a mixed use from residents and works and workshops and so on. These are state issues to do with the way in which power is generated in terms of state, state institutions. Are the institutions cohesive? Are they able to enforce laws? Do we have 
the right laws or the correct laws for the time that we are in. These are issues of state, of state institutions, the issues that you are speaking about. Yes. It's about planning and management, but ultimately also it's about the state. And, you know, we have to also ask questions about how is the state organized? And by the state, I mean state institutions that are responsible for the management of everyday affairs, governance, laws, local councils. Is that the real issue in Iraq, particularly when it comes to the management of cultural heritage uh, and culture and the rich cultural heritage resources that the country has? This is one of the, one of the problems, or oh, I can say one, one of the major reasons to have the situation for our heritage, which I can mention in one statement, which is multiple decision makers. And this is a real problem because when I mention now planning, planning needs um, a certain structure of the decision makers. There should be centralization and also localization in some uh, issues. But in our case, for example, when we are talking about, let me say, a monument or a cultural uh, heritage building, sometimes it belongs to the government. Sometimes it belongs to private ownership. Sometimes it is a part of endowment, for example, and also or some uh, cleric, uh, uh, religious persons and so on. The situation of multiple decision makers, this make the uh, situation is more complex because when you have a plan, for example, you want to implement the plan. Who will implement the plan? Or first, who will approve the plan? Who is the owner? Who is the client, for example, uh, of the master plan? Yes, we can say that client is the Iraqi government or the Ministry of, now it's Ministry of Construction and Housing uh, and uh, uh, Municipalities and Public Works because they gathered all those things in one ministry. So if this is the client, is the client now has the power to control any area in the master plan? The answer sometimes no. Because, for example, if the, in the plan, this land use should be industrial and the other should be residential and so on, sometimes uh, it will change. Change because there, there's another decision maker. And this is, all, I, I can say, the pro, one of the problems or the major problems in Iraq in the uh, last 20 years. I mean, is it too much to ask from people to address this? Ordinary people, citizens? I mean, how can this be addressed? Because obviously, if cultural resources are poorly managed, then we lose the value also of those sites. It's, it's a very difficult issue because if, the, if we have these dysfunctional state systems or um, state institutions, at the same time, we have this potentially huge or currently huge resource for Iraq. The issues that we have to address is not only in society as such, but also in the systems of state. And is it too much to ask people to, to address these issues? Are we asking too much of ordinary people, communities and citizens to address these structural problems associated with the nature of state institutions? In, in Najaf, for example, uh, I think maybe 20 years ago or less, we have a committee uh, which is named uh, it is the Environment Protection Committee. It is an assembly of governmental persons and also volunteers and professors from university and so on. Many times in my 
symposium or lectures or presentations, I ask people of Najaf to establish another committee for heritage. Because I think that we cannot now, uh, for example, in situation of Iraq, maybe still a little bit unsettled, uh, we cannot now imagine that to solve those this problem of multiple decision makers. But I can, can't think we can mitigate the effect of this uh, problem by establishing such committee. When you bring, for example, those from private sector sitting beside the, the governmental representatives and maybe also the, the shrine authority and also the Hauser Almiya and so on, they are sitting together and dealing with, with those issues and also exchange ideas, for example, and maybe putting up plans and so on. This is very important step, uh, in fact, for to solve such a problem. I think so. But unfortunately, my, this, this recommendation always, no one listened to it. Maybe several years I'm uh, asking to do that and establishing such committee. You're a part of a committee now regarding intangible culture heritage. Uh, I think recently they had a, a small department in the, in the ministry, which is, uh, I think, devoted to the intangible cultural heritage of Iraq. So to, for them to can collect uh, uh, the elements, maybe, maybe unknown elements in, in many governments of Iraq for the local people, uh, they have the idea to uh, establish committees, local committees, uh, inside each government, and then start to uh, do an inventorying of the culture and uh, this type of intangible uh, heritage. I, I think that they will start in Najaf. Uh, for this, they chose me as a member of committee uh, of uh, Najaf. I think that the first step uh, will be is to have uh, to uh, have surveyors because surveyors is very important to choose a proper surveyors and then train them with good training about uh, this type of heritage and how to do interview with people and so on and document uh, this heritage by maybe uh, uh, video capturing or by for taking photos and so on. So it is important to consult the local people and the surveyors should be a part of this local people. This name, the community-based inventory. I, I think that any expert come to uh, any uh, governor, governorate in, in Iraq and try to explore the intangible heritage, he will fail, he will fail because he should consult the local people because the local people know uh, their belongings and also uh, their identities and maybe it's, they are part of this culture or that culture and uh, the traditional way of life and so on. This project will start soon and uh, yes, I agree with you. Uh, we should uh, help them and uh, I hope that also the Heren Network will participate in building capacity of those people working in this uh, project and maybe we discuss the details later. Does the inventory contribute towards the efforts of the Iraqi government to inscribe intangible culture heritage on the, the UNESCO list? Yeah, also you, now you mentioned very sensitive point because in fact, here what I mentioned in the beginning, the mindset. Because maybe when I'm talking about that, maybe someone of the authorities of the Ministry of Culture think the objective is to collect 
as much as possible of those elements and make the the list of UNESCO of intangible heritage is full of uh, in the Iraq, uh, for example, uh, link. I think no, this should not be the objective because you no, know, the people are practicing their cultures without, if you inscribe this in the list or not, it is not important for the people. The most important for the people of Iraq now is how to building peace for the future, how to make them uh, less coexist with with each other, and how to ma make respect, mutual respect between the cultures. This is the important thing. I think when you go beyond the lines of the convention and think more and deep, the UNESCO need this. The UNESCO, yes, need to keep the diversity of the global, but at the same time, they need, because the cultural wars, I think there are a lot of hidden cultural wars. Maybe the, the, the last war between uh, uh, Russia and, and Ukraine, I think if you now follow the, the news, you will see many hidden lines that is related to the cultural identity. Now, Russia didn't uh, uh, recognize that there is a, a cultural identity or Ukrainian identity, uh, but Ukrainian people believe the opposite thing. So, cultural wars I can say I can say maybe hundred percent. It it is in many examples. It is the the, the concept below or or the, the the first spark of any real war later. So, in terms of intangible cultural heritage, yes, it's potentially more valuable or just as valuable as any other type of cultural heritage when it comes to building peace. Yeah. Yes. This is important. This is yeah. something that we probably haven't really focused on enough in the institutions of culture heritage, international institutions, is that intangible culture heritage should be prioritized in rebuilding post-conflict societies. Yes, I, because I can say that uh, the, 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 this type of heritage, the living heritage or the intangible heritage, uh, maybe I don't I can't I, I don't know what is the term in English, but in Arabic we say silah dhu haddain. It is like a weapon with two blades. With two blades, yes. So it may be, for example, if now you are promote the maybe the small or the, uh, the the identity of the minorities, you may now promote for racism later. Or maybe you are uh, spreading the hatred between those identities, maybe. So it is really sensitive thing dealing with, for this, I think this is one, one of the main reasons that now we have 12, to my knowledge, 12 important countries didn't ratify, didn't sign this convention till moment. This is the 2003 convention? Yes, one of them, is United Kingdom, United States, Australia, Canada. So when you think about that, I think they are now looking from the other point of view, how this type of cultural heritage is dangerous sometimes to deal with, or when we are, when, when you are as a, for example, as a government, come to a minority and try to uh, encourage them 
to bring or to arise their identity. So maybe there will be problems later. It is a case in large parts of the Middle East where minorities are actually abused and used and instrumentalized. And it's not just, of course, the Middle East, but internationally. Tangible culture heritage, if used correctly, for want of a better term, can actually be a key domain for bringing people together, building peace, I mean, if, if we can call it that, or at least some kind of structures of, of stability in society. But how do we go about doing that? I mean, for instance, in Iraq, I mean, Najaf is an interesting case because Najaf also holds significant amount of uh, cultural heritage that is not only Shi'i, Yes. But it has Christian heritage there also, and many other forms of, from other periods of time, of course, Basra, Mosul, uh, Erbil, uh, Baghdad. Each part of the country has multiple cultural heritage. Basra, Kirkuk, Mosul, yeah. maybe those are at the top. Yeah. Who, who needs really, in my point of view, that in Iraq is really need the intangible cultural heritage for building peace. I really believe so do, do in you, that. Do you think that, um, because it hasn't been developed in Iraq very well, in terms of documentation, in terms of the inventory regarding intangible cultural heritage, regarding Iraqi institutions to protect and celebrate, that's very weak. We yes, know that. Yes, yes. So we are in a good position now in many ways, post-conflict, relative peace in Iraq at the moment. It's a good time to develop systems where we can appreciate and champion uh, intangible cultural heritage. Yes. 20 years now since major yes. changes in the country. Exactly. I named it uh, like uh, a cultural policy. And also I mentioned this in, in many times for my friends in the Ministry of Culture and also in my presentations related to the uh, cultural heritage, that we need a cultural policy. Cultural policy mean that how, as a Ministry of Culture, as a part of government now, how to deal with post-conflicts, because building peace, it doesn't mean that you maybe pull the weapons from those who are fighting themselves. Building peace means you go to those humans who, who was in, in the case of war and then rehabilitate them again. And this is a very important issue, to learn them how to respect each other, this is one, and also how to get rid of the fear from each other. Because, let me also return back in the past, because always I believe if we want to study this, we should study first the past period of Iraq. Because of the bad policy of the last regimes, I can't say only the last regime of Saddam. Also before Saddam regime, there was a lot of problems for Iraqi Kurdish, for example, or Iraqi uh, Shia or, or other minorities and so on. Uh, the problem is that the fear, which type of fear? Fear of from losing the identity. Mm. My identity is in, at risk. My language may be lost. I can't practice my lecture freely. Those things, th this is the way of life. Uh, fear, fear is something last that, is, yeah. that is intimately connected to stability, state institutions, security. Can we address it with intangible culture heritage? Of course, for example, in the, during the, the Saddam period, for example, if you return back and 
from the memories or the bad memories of this period when, for example, the Kurdish language. There is no, for example, interest in Kurdish. Yes, in the beginning when this regime comes, they start to uh, uh, learning Arabic people in the south. The Kurdish language is like uh, an optional or elective course and so on. But later, what happened? Later, they, they felt that their culture is threatened. And as you know, the Shia part of Iraq, which is maybe the majority of Arab in Iraq are Shia, also there is a problem in, in their culture. They can't practice many of things. They cannot write, they cannot read, and, and also the books are prohibited and so on. So this means that their culture is at risk and the government did not want, and also I, I, I also should mention that also for the Sunni uh, part of Iraq, for the whole parts of Iraq, there is always uh, a tough uh, policy with those, the only culture, because I think that the last regime, this is the, the main mistake. They thought that the, uh, the national identity means you should delete all the local cultural identities and then build a national. But now the, the, the intangible heritage stated that yes, any person has a national cultural identity, but at, they, at the same time, he has also a local cultural identity and he belongs to both of them. And there is no problem of uh, to be belong or of many uh, identities, but at the end, you have one national cultural identity. So uh, this is, I think, the main mistake which makes the past regime failed because many wars happen, many uh, things also and problems happen in, in this uh, context and context of cultural. At the end, no one defend about this regime because uh, everyone hated this regime. Shiai, Sunni, Kurdi, Arabi, because all of them, their cultures, their local cultures, not respected uh, at that time. For this, I, I should, why I mention that? Because I want now, the government now of, of the present of this uh, regime should make use of this lesson to have a cultural policy, how to deal with those Iraqi people and then bring them to have, at the same time, two identities. One is the national identity as an Iraqi person, and the second is the local identity. So this is very important thing for the future of Iraq. Otherwise, maybe a lot of examples like Yugoslavia or the past Yugoslavia or the past Soviet Union and so on, and many countries divided because of this. We, we discussed the Quebec Declaration on the Preservation of the Spirit of Place, yes. the 2008 Declaration. Do we need a, a Baghdad Declaration on intangible culture heritage in post-conflict-affected <laughs> conflict contexts? Would it not be a, a major contribution to the field of peace studies, but also culture heritage, for us in Iraq to host this attempt to develop a a declaration or a, a chart, a charter of, of peace based on Iraq's recent experience. 
Yes, I hope so. We should learn from that. For example, I from my readings that Irina Bokova, which is the past former or the general director of UNESCO, I think she was from Bulgaria, I think. But she did a lot when she was a minister in her country for this type of heritage. I think she participated in collecting maybe thousands of elements of intangible cultural heritage and then tried to building peace and also to building a national identity for uh, her country before before she was or she uh, elected as a general director of uh, UNESCO. Yes, I agree with you. We need uh, such declaration. This type of heritage, as I mentioned now, it, it's yes, it needs experts, but at the same time, it, the, the essential part is the local people themselves. And uh, maybe the local people mean the public or the university and so on. And when, for example, when you see other countries, what they did, many success stories, let me say one of them. For example, there was a civil war in Colombia. I think maybe for many years, in uh, the finish or the end of this war, millions of dollars given as a grant for Colombia to rehabilitate those who were fighting each other, to bring them again to their maybe to the villages and so on, and to made some practices of intangible heritage for the people like civil works and so on, to rehabilitate them. For example, what what we did after Daesh, unfortunately, maybe only uh, just keeping the peace and also uh, just uh, trying to get rid of all. Uh, Daesh inside some position, but what we did for those who were fighting Daesh, because they they suffered a lot in, in in that period, and they're turned back now to civil society, so they, they can now live as uh, an ordinary life, or they need something to, for rehabilitation and so on. Those things are hidden, and unfortunately, and no one care uh, about those things, which is very important very important for building peace to be. Many times now we saw in, in the news a lot of tough things like crimes and so on. I cannot relate those with, with the exactly war with Daesh, but this tough period, maybe this is one of the results to see uh, this type of crimes or this type of uh, very tough dealing in, 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 in inside the family or, or inside the streets and so on. You are going back to Najaf, you go back to the University of Kufa in Najaf's main government university. And what are your plans once you go back to Iraq? Uh, in fact, um, maybe my uh, first objective to complete uh, my project, which is documenting of some uh, building, heritage building in Kufa. And then also I am planning to uh, submit again for the grant from Nehra Network. Because this, uh, my proposal, yesterday one of the attendants named Richard Lim, he always follow me on Twitter, uh, he asked me, is this only theoretical proposal and so on? I answered him 
exactly no in fact i just just promote my implementing this uh, proposal because it needs to be implemented because when i say that intangible heritage is important to increase awareness about tangible heritage i should approve that in the ground by a real evidence so i'm planning to implement this uh, project in the historic part of najaf uh, depending on the students of university of kufa because the best surveyors from my readings of this type of heritage uh, are the students because the students they are part of families and uh, part of identities so when you choose good students from the local people inside those communities you can really inventory the uh, living heritage in good way so uh, this is my plan inshallah maybe it needs uh, also a lot of efforts uh, to establish also a good team uh, here also the, the essential experts we need that socialist uh, expert sociologist sociologist yes and as you know this specialty in iraq is limited uh, in, in the same uh, situation in united kingdom or the other developed countries uh, but maybe we can also uh, consult other sociologists from outside uh, from here, United Kingdom or other uh, countries. The other also plan when I'm returned back uh, to increase knowledge of uh, my colleagues uh, interested in heritage, to give them presentations about the main results, main topics, especially what is related to York and my experience about heritage of York. Uh, and the other also objective is to uh, contact with this new municipality uh, um, I don't know, but maybe uh, the leader will be one of my former students. I hope so, because now the majority of engineers in the municipality of Najaf are uh, my former uh, students. So maybe if uh, one of them or any other person, I contact him and uh, try to help him to build uh, this new municipality and to be succeed in this important this mission. This is the historic... Uh, First historic center of Najaf, yes. Yeah. The idea is to transfer some of the knowledge you've gained here. Yeah, especially uh, what is related to the uh, rules, for example, and the laws. Uh, that govern the work of uh, City Council of York. This, this is very important. Perhaps you can twin, do twinning, sister twi twinning. <laughs> this is maybe future, <laughs> future step, twinning between the two cities. It is really maybe a, now look like a dream for me because it is important to make use of their experience uh, in keeping the heritage and how to deal with this. And as you mentioned, establish maybe organization uh, similar to uh, York Archaeological Trust Charity organization, yeah, it is also uh, maybe important. And I don't know, maybe I can uh, achieve all of that or part of that. But the main thing or, or the main objective in all of these, I should continue. And you also should continue. Nahari Network should continue. We continue to in, in this uh, way. Yes, it is difficult. Maybe the supporters are limited, but we should be patient. And I think at the end, we will, you will success. Thank you very much, Dr. Ali Naji Atiyah, University of Kufa, Nahrain Network, British Institute for the Study of Iraq, scholar. Thank you very much for this lovely discussion we've had. Thank you very much also for you, for uh, all of those working, starting from Professor Ian Robson and others. And I hope for you all success. Thank you very much. Thank you.